We're going to uh, pick up with uh, week three of Weapons of Our Warfare, uh, just kind of give a, a little bit of a recap on week one and week two. Week one, we talked about being the home front. That's the first line of defense there that we have to kind of begin to work at home and uh, just uh, bringing back uh, the fight back into the Christian in the proper way, in the right way. And, um, you know, uh, the, the term spiritual warfare, I think, got a little wonky there for a while. Uh, depending on what you think about it. Um, and uh, I know from time to time it's, it's uh, gotten a little uh, nutty because uh, people take it the wrong way. They fight in the wrong way. They, uh, it's not uh, the proper way. I mean, they, they'll, they'll look at people as the problem. Uh, the devil will be behind every corner uh, to some people that, do, that think about spiritual warfare and different things like that. So bringing just a balanced approach to this and, and uh, anything that God uh, instills in us through his word or brings about into the church, the devil is always going to try to twist and pervert that. And I remember one time we went to a conference and there was a lady that followed this certain uh, worship team around that we would go to. And I, I, I guess we could say we follow them around too. It's just, it just seemed like when you brought teenagers or anybody into their services that the spirit of God just fell and and just been invaluable in my life over the years of, of learning how to worship and everything. But there was a woman that would follow them around, and she was a spiritual warfare person. And uh, she literally walked around with a full-length medieval sword on her belt. And she was doing spiritual warfare. And uh, so she actually, I think, told somebody she had a place in her room or in her house where she had padded all the walls, and she would go in there and slice and stab the walls, and she was doing that to demons. And I was like, no, no, that's not spiritual warfare. That is what Paul talked about. He says, I'm not one who beats the air, meaning I'm not somebody that's going to be going through all these actions for nothing, right? And, uh, and so uh, through the word of God, we can determine how uh, we can actually land punches. Amen. How many of you like to be able to land punches and, uh, and, and be able to actually do damage to uh, the kingdom of Satan? And so uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6, this is where we started. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, being ever ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And then the amplified version of that says, For the weapons of our warfare are not physical uh, weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. And we went really de uh, deep into what strongholds are, but I'm going to just kind of hit the highlights here. A stronghold here in 2 Corinthians 10 is, is basically what he's trying to describe here is a thought uh, that we have confidence in that demands our commitment to keeping it as a part of our thought processes. We protect it and hold it in its place that nobody, especially, this is the, this is the, uh, the one thing that a stronghold in your life does not want to get to, and that is they want, it does not want the Word of God to get to it. If the Word of God can get to a stronghold, it can destroy a stronghold. And if you've ever just been kind of uh, in a... Um, 
in a time, maybe even in a service. I'm not saying that, that you haven't heard actually wrong things that bothered you in a service, but I'm saying that if you've ever been in a service where it's like the Word of God touched something, hit something, and you knew, but automatically you began to rationalize, automatically you began to figure out how that really wasn't about you. Does that make sense? And that's a stronghold like trying to protect itself. And, and that's what it needs. So when we protect our opinions and thoughts from the truth of the Word of God, it creates disobedience in our lives and leads to an overall direction being dictated by our fortified and protected opinions and feelings instead of the truth of the Word of God. Amen? This is where we must wage war if, in our thought life if we're ever going to be the affected, effective, anointed, powerful witnesses that the Word of God says that every believer is. Now, week two, we talked about the defeated foe. We talked about how really one of the things that we need to, uh, we need to be aware of is our, our, our enemy, and that is Satan. And it's, there, you know, I, I kind of said it this way, War Tactics 101 is understanding your adversary, understanding their history, understanding their weaknesses. And Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2 uh, that they needed to be quick, to forgive. So he's talking to him. He says, you guys need to be quick to forgive, not hold anything against anyone, because when you do, it, and he's talking to a whole church, he says it's a door for Satan to take advantage of the church. So you got to think about it this way. When me personally, when I am in unforgiveness, or when I am holding something against somebody, it's not just affecting me, it's giving a doorway into the church. You know who that doorway is? You. The offended, the hurt, the, the you know, if you're, if you're in, in unforgiveness, there's a doorway there. And so he, he actually says this in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And so he says, we don't need to be ignorant of the way he operates. We don't need to be ignorant of the way he does things. Um, Luke 10, 17 through 20 says this. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, listen to this. Before this time, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced, just like it is this time, uh, in this time, that nobody really felt like they had any kind of power over the enemy. They never felt like they had any power over evil spirits and all those different things. So could you imagine the free-for-all that evil spirits would have on people in those days? And we're gonna, tonight we're going to talk about one of those people that, the, that evil spirits had their way, uh, demons, however you want to say it, had their way with somebody. But they, had, they didn't have a, a way to overcome them. They had no way. Uh, the closest you're going to find is when a prophet, a man of God, uh, would do something like Elijah when he went up there and he, he challenged the prophets of Baal. But those were actual people. But they didn't have any real power because Jesus had not yet come and lived and uh, crucified, buried, raised again on the third day, ascended into heaven. That is when the church actually got power over demonic spirits. And so right here... The 70 are coming back because this is kind of in that transitional point. you got to think about this a little bit. And, and that is they're transitioning from Old Testament to New Testament. Jesus is still on the earth. He sends out the 70 in pairs of two to go out and preach the gospel and go out and tell people. And they come back and they're super excited because they have found out that even demons are subject to them when they use the name of Jesus. And this is what Jesus' response was. Verse 18, he said, he said to them, 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And so Jesus took the opportunity to allow them to understand some of Satan's devices and some of his history and and some of who he was because he wanted to de-elevate the power of darkness in their eyes and in their heart and in their life. Because at that point in time, I mean, people were, were adamantly uh, fearful and afraid of demoniacs and different things like that. And I'm not saying that people aren't today. I think people are a little bit more fascinated than they should be, uh, you know, for all these things, for speaking to the dead and all this kind of stuff. People are very fascinated about it. They wouldn't be so fascinated about it if they understood the doorway that they're creating in their life with it. But... In this point in time, they are ecstatic because they figured something out that they never knew they had. And, and it's that uh, Satan is a, defeat, uh, is a defeated foe. Now, he's always been defeated to God, right? But Jesus had to go and die and, and be buried and raised again on the third day. But he went down into the depths of hell and he defeated Satan, not for himself. I want you to understand this. He had, God had already defeated Satan. Right? Satan was not a problem for God. Satan was a problem for us, right? We had the sin nature injected into us because of sin that we, that humanity agreed to in the garden. So God had already defeated Satan. So Jesus had seen Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He understood that I've already defeated him, but I'm giving you authority to use my name because he's defeated. Come on now. So, um... Jesus fully understands who Satan is and also who he was and what his weaknesses are. That's why he was and is victorious over him. Now, Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your heart, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that is against you, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, watch this, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So the greatest argument that you can have as a Christian against the devil is to fight the good fight of faith, and that is by declaring who you are in Christ. See, Satan wants to pick you apart naturally. But listen, we're not natural anymore. We've been born again. There's a new creation on the inside of us. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. But what Satan wants to do is he wants to pick on that natural side of you. And he wants to begin to tell you who you were. He wants to begin to tell you who you are in the flesh. And we have to combat him by saying who we are in Christ. Amen? He can't argue when you're firm in who the word says you are in Christ. And 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion. And, and we, kinda, we went through all those, that, the different things about that. And, um, but tonight, I want to get to the subject number three and talk about open borders. And I know that's a big subject in the news today, and that's kind of why I picked it. Uh, because uh, how many of you know we can have open borders in our life? Amen? And, um, you know, I found out one of the greatest deterrents from attacks, one of the greatest deterrents from thefts uh, is to simply lock the door. Amen? Now, I know every time I put a lock on something around some people, they'll say, um, you know, a lock only keeps out an honest person. Right? Right? 
And that, that may be true. But I believe the more difficult you make it for someone to steal from you, the less likely you're going to be stolen from. Amen? We used to have a, a camp down on the lake when we were uh, in Magnolia. And we left boats down there and different things like that. But I made sure that even though I had a boat down there, even though I had different things, I keep stuff in the boat. I would tarp it up so good. I would lock the, put a locking ball on the hitch. And, you know, I just did things to where somebody couldn't just walk up and snatch something. Somebody just couldn't just back up. They were going to have to spend some time at my camper doing things to get those things free where they, they couldn't just walk by and just load it in the back of the truck. And so, you know, we, we understand this in the natural. We understand stopping crimes of opportunity, you know, not just uh, at night, not just leaving our doors open. Now, we've gone to bed several times and forgotten that uh, we left the keys in the door. Anybody ever done that? You just, it, that's like the most violating feeling. And you walk out and you're looking for your keys. You can't find them. And you get grab the spare set and you go out and you shut the door and there are the keys hanging in the door all night long. It's like... There could have been a murderer out here, and they could have got the one night I left the keys hanging out of the door, you know. And so we understand all of this naturally uh, about locking things up and securing things. And some people go through to great lengths, and they spend lots of money, and they've got surveillance, and they've got you know motion detectors, and they got all kinds of things naturally. But you know, a lot of times when it comes to our souls, and our, our and our when I say soul, I mean our mind and our will and our emotions. It's an open border. You know, we, we naturally lock up our prized possessions. Some people have prized possessions that they're just nervous to even leave it at their house. They take it all the way to a bank and lock it in a safe there and let somebody else watch over it. And we understand all these things about our prized possessions, but then when it comes to our souls, when it comes to our mind and our will and our emotions, and it comes to this thing that, that really should be our most prized possession, I want to I survey something to you, and that is, is that when it came to your soul, God was willing to sacrifice his most prized possession for it. Think about this. For your soul, for your mind, your will, and your emotions, your spirit man, all that wrapped into one, God was willing to send his one and only son to save it, sacrifice for it. He thought it was so valuable. And we leave it wide open. We don't lock nothing down. We let anybody and everybody in and out of our soul. We don't protect our soul from anything most of the time. Especially this generation. You know, so desensitized by what's on TV because it just is. Or, or the music, or we just justify and justify all, all the time. But really what it is, is it's leaving our borders open. And I'm going to show you where it's dangerous here. An open border in our souls creates entrance for Satan to set up strongholds that leads to his destruction in our life. No matter how secure your soul is, your mind, your will, and your emotions... Just living in this world can cause things to slip by. Just living. I'm talking about the most secure. Just living can cause things to slip by. But most of the time, they don't have to slip by at all. It's wide open. 
we think that we've got some kind of duty to take in every idea and every thought that comes to us and mull it over and see where we um, stand on it. Come on. How many of you have ever began to, uh, just something as simple as, as a movie, anybody ever began to watch a movie and, and uh, you just go, oh, well, maybe it'll get better. Oh, well, maybe it'll get better. Oh, maybe it'll get better. And, and you just, now you're sucked in and you can't stop watching it no matter how bad it is and you're, the spirit man on the inside of you is going, mm, 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 every time. And we don't have enough about us to get up, to turn it off. What are we doing? We're just saying we're just open for business. Come on in. And you may not think a movie or certain music or, um, you know, certain things you watch on TV, even if it's not, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and bad language. How many of you know there are bad ideas? There's bad thought processes. There's, um, uh, there's just things on there that you don't have to understand them. You don't have to hear them to see where you stand on them. All you need to know is this. Right? I, I, I promise you, enough is going to come to you haphazardly that we don't have to go out there and feel like, well, if I don't know, I don't know if I don't know what the kids are listening to today. Listen, they're nothing good. Nothing. I challenge you to the next time you hear a, a song that's being played by your child, or grab their earbuds or something like that, and just. Or just ask them the name. What's the name of the song you're listening to? And then Google the lyrics. You're going to be horrified. There was this, uh, and I'll, I'll say it publicly. I don't, I don't mind. There's a, because the music, I, I enjoyed, when I first heard it, I enjoyed the way it sounded, very innovative. But, you know, there's a, there's a young girl. She's young, young. She was like 15, I think, when she came out. Her and her brother, they make all this music. And uh, very unique, very cool beats, and she's huge famous now. And, and that's uh, Billy, my kids call her Billy Eilish, but it's by, uh, Billy Eilish. And, uh, huh? Is that what I. Okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So she writes this song called All the Good Girls Go to Hell. That's the name of the song. And so I thought, I want to know what the lyrics are. I didn't listen to it. I just want to know what the lyrics are. I'm telling you right now, a 17-year-old girl does not write the spiritual doctrine that was in that song. It is flat out tapped into the throne of Satan, and she wrote it. I mean, if you, if you dare, Google the lyrics and tell me, that she didn't, her and her brother didn't get with Satan himself and write that song. It is completely, and not one dirty word in it, I don't think. Completely and utterly demonic. And it's because we've not wanted to be narrow-minded. And we've not wanted to be um, anything, uh, we wanted to be kind of cool, you know. Maybe not everybody, but as a whole. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to grow up and turn into our parents kind of thing. But, um, you know, 
It's leaving our own souls open. It's leaving our kids' souls open. And I'm not preaching, I'm, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself too. Because when I'm, I'm looking at all these things, I'm, I'm seeing how society is being twisted further and further down a, a wormhole and the church is getting caught up in it. And the main reason why is because there's been a rapid decline of Christians protecting their souls. Not having a standard whatsoever. Amen? Can't say amen, amen say oh me. Isn't that what they say? No matter how secure your soul is, just living in the world will cause things to slip past your borders. But you will greatly decrease the crime of opportunity by simply taking more care to close and lock the doors to your soul. You know, there's certain conversations you don't have to stand there and listen to. I was so proud of somebody not too long ago because I've, I've rarely seen this happen. I've rarely seen this happen. I'm speaking to a gentleman that, that I really don't know, and in the presence of a gentleman I do know, and then they both know each other. And so I'm standing there, and the one gentleman sounds like he's about to begin to rip somebody that we both know, me and the other guy know. And about three words in, not, didn't make a big scene about it or nothing. Just turned and walked away. And I thought, I know exactly why he just walked away. Because he didn't want to be in a conversation where somebody was about to get talked about. Now, I'm happy to say it didn't really go much farther with the other gentleman. But I could tell, I thought, I don't know what I'm about to do. I don't know what I'm about to have to say. But as Christians, sometimes I don't, I don't know that we, that we have that about us anymore where we're not willing to say, uh, hold up a second, hold up a second. I don't want this conversation getting past my border. I've got a boundary here. You say, well, I, just, I didn't want it to get awkward between the two of us. Oh, it needs to get awkward. Real quick, if it's ever going to stop in your life. And you may stop it in their life. You know what I mean? You may stop that in their life. I know um, there's a story Kenneth Hagin tells. And uh, he said he had made a vow to the Lord a long time ago at this point he, uh, when he was writing it. That if anybody ever came to meet with him and began to speak about anybody, anybody else began to start in on their husband or start in on their wife or their pastor or this, that, or the other, that they were just going to get up. He was just going to get up and walk out. And so he tells, it's kind of a funny story, um, and he says uh, him and Miss Aretha, his, um, his wife, was counseling somebody, and they began to talk about somebody, and they said he just got his stuff and just casually walked out the door. And the person sat there and sat there and finally looked at her and said, is he coming back? And she goes, probably not. He said, uh, he, he made a vow a long time ago that he wasn't going to sit in a room and listen to somebody talk about somebody else. And the person was like, okay. And they said, Miss Oritha said, but I didn't make that vow. Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, just it, it's, kind of, it's funny, but, but at the same time, I mean, 
When's the last time we just begin to check everything at the border? Amen? When's the last time we begin to check where, where we had enough about us when we're watching our favorite news station, but we begin to sense we don't need to be listening to this and went, I don't need that. Or when we begin to sense that something constantly is irritating us and making us mad. That does, does, I'm not talking about your children. I'm talking about like certain other things. And we just go, I don't need that in my life. You know, if, if social media makes you mad, cut it off. You don't need it. It's not a prerequisite. It's not a must. You know, those old beer drinking songs, they're not a prerequisite. They're not a must. Those old rock and roll, if they take you to a place, if they open up areas in your life that you don't need, those horror movies are, are the, the, the different things about all this, all this demonic stuff that they want to they put out there and they want to put their Hollywood spin on it. It's not a good thing. It's, it's opening up doors for Satan to come in on you. You have to look at it like that. And it's not something that you have to go out and you have to tell everybody that, you know, we don't, watch, we don't watch Barney because it's demonic. You know, I'm just joking about that. You know, back in the day, I remember my, my stepmother uh, and my father, they went to this church. And I didn't, I mean, I was too old for Barney anyway. I didn't care about it. It was, it was before me. But my, my little uh, half-sister, she loved Barney. And they started going to this certain church. And that church said that Barney was of the devil because he was a dinosaur. <laughs> and because he was a dragon... He was just a, anyway, and because he wore purple, and purple is, you know, that's the color of Satan. I did not know that. So let's not get stupid about it. Now, if Barney has got messages where he's saying things that are, are, not, uh, are not good for our children, then yeah, let's cut that off. Because there's a whole lot of things that are marketed towards kids today that uh, there, there was one not too long ago, and my kids, thankfully, were a little bit too old for it, but there was one, there was one show I watched it, I don't even know why, maybe, maybe a, a kid that came over to our house, the parents said that their kid liked watching it, so we turned it on. And I started watching it, I said, this show is teaching kids that the kid who always is causing drama is the one that you need to attend to. Because this kid would like get left out of something and he'd go, my feelings are hurt. And all of them would go, well, we need to go and see about them because their feelings are hurt. And then if... You got the last cookie, you know, and all this stuff. And it was teach. I was like, my, no, no, no. These kids don't need to be taught that a whining, complaining person that's always offended, that's the worst thing you can do for them. The best thing to do is go, suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. Come on. And I, I, I'm not trying to digress or anything or, or get into these weird topics, but I don't think it's weird. I think it's something that if we don't analyze the information and the stuff that is coming into us, no matter where it's coming from, if it's coming from an actual person that's in our life, if we don't, if we don't protect ourselves and we don't guard ourselves, nobody's going to. Amen? Going back to 2 Corinthians 10, from when we first, the very first night we, we preached, it says, casting down arguments... And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So the enemy, I want to, I want to tell you this, as a Christian, the enemy has absolutely no power to bring destruction into your life as a believer. He doesn't. 
We don't believe that fully. We almost live in a scared like the devil might sneak up on us. And, and there are, we'll talk about sneak attacks here in a minute. But he doesn't have power to bring destruction into a believer's life unless he finds an open border, finds an open door in the mind. The Holy Spirit is always faithful to convict areas in our lives that leave us open for attack. He's always faithful to do that. He's forever leading us to turn away from certain thoughts and feelings, pleading with us to change before the enemy builds a stronghold of thinking in our life. I have sadly seen this happen. I have sadly had it happen to me. And there's no greater feeling than getting free of a stronghold. But I will tell you, every single thought process that got stuck in my mind that began to cause destruction, began to open up doors for Satan to rob and and to steal from me, without fail, if I go back to the beginning of the journey, it started when I was not checking something at my mind and I was allowing something to come in and out, in and out, a thought to come in and out, in and out. I'll give an example of this. Have you ever been out by yourself, maybe doing, it always happens with me doing yard work. I don't know why, but out doing yard work, maybe because there's nobody around, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of loudness and everything, and so my mind begins, I, I can really begin to think, well, without fail, I've, I've, I've begun, I, over the last probably 10 years, I've begun to realize is that that is when Satan wants to begin to show me pictures of things that people have done wrong to me. And then he escalates them, and then he twists them, and then he makes them bigger than what they really are. And the next thing you know, you're mad at somebody, and they haven't even done anything. Well, I, bet I bet they still hadn't done that. I asked them to do that three weeks ago. You know what I found out? Anytime, I don't care if they did, if they just flat out did something. Anytime that begins to happen, that is the enemy trying to find a door of offense into your life. Stop it at the door. Say, no, 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 no. I'm not allowing that thought in here. I'm not going to dwell on them. I've got, I, I, I've got too little time on this earth to sit here and waste 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours dwelling on something that somebody else did that I had no control over. I'm going to spend that time praising God. And that's, what, that's exactly what I begin to do. Uh, you might, if you ever come by my house when I'm mowing or weed eating or out here working or something like that, if I've got some kind of power tool and I'm singing praises to the Lord or praying in the Holy Ghost, you can better believe that the, the devil has been trying to get me to hate somebody. He's been trying to get me offended at somebody. And I'm going to say something very strong here tonight. But, but uh, some of you are sitting here and you've got deep-rooted offense and you, it's a stronghold in your life. And the Word of God, I can, I'm, I'm seeing it almost in the Spirit where it's trying to attack that and you're looking side to side and not me. Mm-mm, nope, nope, I'm not letting that go. If you don't let that go, it's a doorway to Satan to destroy your life. This is a strong warning for you tonight, whether you're on live stream or you're sitting in this sanctuary. There is something in you that you will not allow the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to take from you. And I'm telling you, from, uh, coming from experience, if you will allow the Lord to take that and begin to close that off and not allow that to happen, I'm telling you right now, you're going to find some freedom and some joy that you hadn't had in a long time. You are a very sad and depressed person right now. 
no matter how much you smile in public, you're stressed, you got anxiety to the max, and it's because you will not allow the Word of God to root that bitterness and to root that offense out of your life. The Holy Spirit is always faithful to convict us of areas in our lives that leave us open for an attack. But here's the thing. He's not going to close the border. We've got to. When we continually ignore the Holy Spirit and let sin in, willfully permitting temptation to trespass and wrong attitudes to live in our souls, we are leaving our borders open to the enemy. Almost all spiritual destruction in the life of the believer is avoidable. The enemy cannot destroy what he can't get to. You have to give entrance. You have to leave the border open. You know, the enemy can definitely try to hinder you like he did the Apostle Paul, like he did many people in the Bible, but he cannot destroy you unless there's something already going wrong on the inside of you, meaning an opening through sin, through disobedience, through worry, through fear, through offense or or unforgiveness. Now, I know that's a little bit of an extreme thought there, but I, I, will, I will balance that out here in just a minute. But I, I want you to see that unless you give him an opening, there, unless there's something on the inside of you, like, like and you, you don't think that that offense or that unforgiveness or anything is doing anything wrong because it's on the inside of you and I'm trying to hide it from everybody else, but, but I'm telling you it's a door. And a door doesn't always lead to immediate uh, uh, immediately things going wrong, but it's the day after day, the week after week, the month after month, the year after year that you live with it. It's a toxin. It's uh, Actually, the Bible calls it, I said a while ago, a root of bitterness. What does a root do? Well, sometimes there can be roots of something there, and you don't know what's going to uh, come about on those until a certain season. When we first got uh, to our house there uh, up the road, um, the man who, who built it or redid it for us, uh, Donnie Moody, he told me, he said, man, he said, I've tried everything I can. I've burnt them. I've, I've cut them down. I've put poison on them. He said, but you, you've got a ton of that, um, I can't remember what it was. I said it before. Yeah, wisteria. I can't get rid of it. And I said, oh, okay. Well, when you're there, you don't, I mean, it was wintertime, almost winter. You know, it was late fall or whatever. I didn't see anything, nothing. But I remember when I would rake and I would clean up, there was these long roots on top of the ground. And when I would try to weed eat, they would get tangled up in my weed eater. And I'm like, what is that? What is going on? I didn't know what it was. I'd chop it down or whatever. Well, springtime came, and here they blossomed. Listen, if you don't root out, and they're not, they're not going away until I pull all them roots up. That's not going away until you allow the Holy Spirit to pull that root up. And you can, think, you can chop it down and hide it all you want. But it is that every single day you allow it to grow on the inside of you is the roots are going deeper and deeper and deeper. And it all came because you allowed a thought to cross into your soul, into your mind, into your will, into your emotions. Amen. Here's the other thing about the enemy. 
He's got camouflage. So we, we have to understand that we are fighting a war here. And the Bible says fight the good fight of faith. And as, as if things weren't enough that we've got to close the borders off, he also has camouflage. And the, can anybody guess what the camouflage is? The camouflage that Satan uses is called blame shifting. Sometimes it's hard to see the point of attack because he's good at taking the attention off the real issue and getting you to blame your problems on everyone and everything else. This tactic is as old as the original sin. Listen to what Adam did after he fell, okay? This is the words of Adam after he was confronted with his failure. He says in Genesis 3.12, The woman whom you gavest me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Adam blamed his wife and God. This is the camouflage of Satan. Because the problem was, is that Adam did not guard himself from what Satan was trying to tell him to do. He did not take the word of God and say, no, God said don't eat of it. And see, that's a perfect picture of it's not just you. If you're a husband and wife, you're you're one. The Bible says. So there could be open doors in a spouse, just like with Eve. She was deceived. That's what the Word of God says. But see, Adam was not deceived. Eve was. Eve was deceived. She ate. She brought it to her husband. Her husband, his sin was he obeyed the Word of his wife over the Word of God. He could have very easily just said, that's not what, no, God said no. Get that out of here. But he didn't close the door, probably because he didn't want his wife giving him the cold shoulder for a month. I cooked this for you, and you're not going to eat it? No, because God said don't eat that. Oh, what does he know? Okay, honey. Right? But the very first thing that happens when, they, when he sinned was he was able to camouflage himself by putting that thought, it was your wife's fault. It was God's fault, really, because, because God gave you the wife. If God had never given you the wife, then the wife hadn't, would have never uh, fallen to the temptation. And then she, right? We say it like this a lot of times. There's even, a, I think I saw a commercial for a movie, The Devil Made Me Do It. No, no. He didn't make you do it. He may have suggested it. He may have brought you a picture of the pleasure and helped you rationalize and justify why it was okay for you to do it. But you did it on your own free will. So there are sneak attacks, though. So we've kind of talked about just the open doors and closing that down. But not every attack, I told you I was going to bring some balance to that. Because some people can get off, and I've actually heard people say uh, ridiculous things like the reason why somebody in their life, maybe a child or something, passed away prematurely is because they were not 
they, were, they, were, they were in sin or they weren't following God or they were in disobedience or something like that. I do not believe that that is the case, and I think that uh, that is very, very wrong. I had somebody do that in our church uh, with uh, a son that had been killed in a car wreck. Uh, a woman in my church told those people that the son died because they didn't have enough faith. And we had a good talk with that woman uh, because that's not right. Not every attack is brought on by moral failure, although moral failure can open up a door every single time. There are absolutely sneak attacks. And I will say this, I have learned better, and I'm on the lookout for them now, not that I'm looking behind every door for Satan to get me, but I always know when when the Lord begins to speak to me about something big, uh, for instance, when the Lord began to speak to me about pastoring for the first time when, when I left here for the first time. Um, it took me several times, and I'm actually in the process of writing a book called The Love Test, and really that's what it is. It's testing where your love is, and most of the time Satan is going to sneak attack you on the cusp of, of God asking you to do something or something big about to uh, uh, be uh, for you, for his kingdom, or, or just for your benefit. And, um, and, and although I've begun to get very prevy to it and almost waiting for it, it's not that it can't knock you off balance sometime. And, um, you know, this, this is not uncommon. Satan even tried to do this to Jesus. And uh, you remember when, uh, when Jesus and his disciples were going, uh, they were in the boat, and uh, the Bible says that uh, there arose a great windstorm. And uh, it's the story about Jesus sleeping in the bottom of the boat and everything, and the disciples saying, don't you care that we perish? But a lot of times what we don't talk about is where Jesus was going. And where Jesus was going was to uh, Gadara. And so while he was on the way to Gadara, there arose a great windstorm. And notice it didn't say a thunderstorm. It didn't say a rainstorm. It was an invisible windstorm. And Actually, that, that word arose means out of nowhere. So Jesus was sleeping in the boat. The disciples were enjoying the ride, and all of a sudden, and actually when it says a great uh, windstorm, that word great actually is where we get the word mega from. So it was a mega windstorm that came out of nowhere, and it came to destroy them, at the, but at the very least, just knock them off course. you got to remember, no motors back then, no, uh, no sophisticated uh, you know, things to keep them on track. So at the very least, a boat that is, is being supplied by wind power is, is going to be knocked off course with a wind that strong, if not destroyed. And we don't really have time to get into this tonight and actually have time to go to this scripture. I, I really wanted to, uh, but we're running a little bit behind. But the reason why is because uh, Jesus was about to go take one of Satan's most prized possessions. And that was the madman of Gadara. Madman of the Gadarenes. You say it like that. And this man was so demon-possessed that when Jesus asked what the demon's name was, it answered back, Legion, for we are many. So this man is living in this, in this region, and he's cutting himself, and he's, he's, he's uh, messing with everything. And I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a problem. So Jesus is, is going across the lake there, across the sea, to get to him, he's about to cast, and the Bible says 2,000 demons. It says a legion. 2,000 demons out of this man. And when he, when he goes to cast them out, the demon says, please don't make us leave 
this area basically, this country. And he says, okay, I guess. Because they said, let us go into the swine over there. Obviously, we under, we, we've, we've heard this story before. And he cast them into the swine. The swine go over the cliff. They drowned in the ocean. But Satan tried to sneak attack Jesus because he didn't want what Jesus was about to do. And so if he'll do that to Jesus, he'll do it to you. And we have to be ready for it. And it's not something we're fearful of. And the reason why we're not fearful of it is because what Jesus did when the storm arose. He walked out. The, the disciples are scared to death. And he, I mean, they're saying, don't you care that we're about to die? And he walks out and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And he turns around to the disciples and he says, ye of little faith. The more secure your borders are, the more apt we are to go to the front lines and attack uh, the kingdom of Satan because we're not distracted with putting out fires at home. And that's really where I wanted to get to tonight. Because if all we're ever doing is fielding attacks that have gotten through our borders because of maybe doors we've opened by things that we participate in, by things that we entertain in our mind, by things that we hear, and we're not locking things down as much as possible, then we're going to be so distracted and we're going to be so tired of all this stuff happening, we're going to begin to shift blame. We're going to be saying, well, God just don't care about me or this, is, this has happened because of that person and if, and if they wouldn't have done this and I wouldn't be in this situation and if, if I had more money or if, if, if he wouldn't have done that and, and, and you get to doing all that stuff and you're just chasing your tail. But if we can get to a point where we begin to, 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 to push everything out, to cast down every thought, to get rid of the strongholds in our life that are holding us back, lock the doors down, then we could be somebody going across and, and instead, of, instead of fielding things at home, we're going to take the fight to the kingdom of darkness and we're going to cast out 2,000 demons. Most of the time we don't have time to cast out 2,000 demons because we're dealing with the few that we got in our house. Right? Philippians 4, 6-9 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, will surpass all, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. What guards our heart and our mind? When we're not anxious, we're not giving in to fear, but we're praying with supplication, thanksgiving, letting our requests be made known unto God. And then it says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it'll come and guard our hearts and our minds. Of course, we're going to get into the armor of God, but if you remember, one of the pieces of the armor of God is, is peace. So peace, when we have peace in our life, by not being anxious... Not worrying, not fearing, not fretting, but praying. That produces peace in our life. And that peace, the very peace of God that surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and our minds. It says through Jesus Christ. It says, finally, brethren. So after he says this, this is what he tells us. And, and Paul is telling the Philippians, this is how you have a life, a guarded life. 
He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's anything virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So you ought to memorize this scripture. I know years ago we would pray this scripture a lot. need to pray it again. But it got, when you pray a scripture enough, it just begins to be a part of you. And when thoughts or when things come in your mind or when ideas come there, this is the test that it has to pass. You know, when a thought comes knocking on your door, hey, I'm home, what's the password? You know what the password is? Um, is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it a good report? Is it virtuous? And is it worthy of my praise? Well, now nah, I was just going to tell you what old Susie was doing down the road. Bye. Nope, doesn't get, doesn't get in here. This is how we have a life that is guarded by the right things so that we can be powerful and not be a person that is so twisted up and confused and pulled apart by every single direction because we're allowing everything that comes down the pipe to come into us and we think we have enough of what it takes to sort it out. We don't. We don't have enough of what it takes to sort it out. Meditate on these things, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen? Hallelujah. So teaching us to fight, understanding and knowing the, the Satan's tactics. This is, we, we went over some great weapons tonight, if you'll pay attention to them, if I will pay attention to them. I know this through studying this and just through the last uh, several weeks. And I, I, was, I was telling Christy, I said, you know, I finally feel like, you know, it just took, took a little longer than what I really thought. But I finally feel like I'm getting back to myself. I finally feel like I'm, I'm able to study and I'm able to pray like I was always doing. And, um, and I'm, not, I'm not letting up. I'm not slacking off. The devil tried to take me out. And, he, and then after he couldn't do that, he tried to confuse my mind and with, the, with that virus and stuff. And, and uh, I'm, I'm taking the fight to him. I'm locking things down. You know, there, there's, there's always, 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 no matter who you are, no matter if Mother Teresa was sitting in here tonight, there's always something that you can hone off of your life that is not good, that's a door, and lock it up and secure it better. Amen? You may have a lot of things going on, and you may just need to start with the biggest thing. You might need to start with the thing that you can handle right now and say, you know what, I can, I can do away with that. I can do away with that. And, you know, I'm not trying to harp on this or anything like that, but, you know, um, not too awful long ago, I just turned my uh, radio to Christian, and it hadn't come off. And am I harping on whether you should only listen to Christian music or not? That's not for me to to put on you. That's for something for you to decide. But I know for me that I, could, I can tell a difference now uh, by just, you know what, I don't need all that. I just don't need all that. You know, songs or other people preaching their doctrine to you. You know, 
And it might be smoke rolling out the windows, ice cold beer in the console. That's their doctrine. That's the way they live their life. You know what I'm saying? Old dirt roads and daisy dukes and girls with long legs and, you know, beer and all this. And, you know, they're preaching. They're preaching through their song. And so, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn on a guy that was uh, and say, I want to I listen to the word today and go turn on somebody to preach to me and preach to me what's in that song. So if I'm not going to let it preach to me, then I'm not going to let it preach to me.